Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful for uh, the privilege that we have of uh, having your word uh, that uh, tells us not only these actions that have been done before, but how they apply to us and how we can live uh, right now currently. And in uh, the times we're in, it's very important uh, to have a, a structure uh, whereby we can live. So we pray uh, that as we continue on through this study that uh, the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and uh, make things clear and make things click, uh, that we uh, might understand better the origins of the church and how uh, it developed over the uh, early part of the ministry and, and how this impacts us now. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and so uh, again, in, in verses 1 through 3, you see this introduction uh, concerning the author and who he's writing to. Uh, and I'm going to just hit the highlights here. This is from uh, page one of your notes. I don't know that everybody uh, has them. Lynn is always good about keeping hers together. Uh, you guys good back there? Uh, you have some, Brother Joe? You'd have to fish them out. <laughs> no, those were from before you guys went on your trip. Maybe. Might be over there in that little pile down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, um, again, the, the uh, teachings and actions uh, of the Lord are what's at view. Uh, and then we looked at the uh, present instruction of Jesus to the, <laughs> the apostles. Um, and you see that in verses 4 through 5 where, uh, again, they're assembled together with the Lord prior to his departure, and he's going to give them instruction on what they're supposed to be doing. Now, what's in the disciples' minds again? Being uh, raised up in Judaism and understanding everything related to that construct. We can't relate to that, right, because we have a different frame of understanding. But these guys were all raised that... Uh, the Messiah is going to return and he's going to establish a kingdom on the earth. And so this is what's in their minds. And he, it says basically they kept on asking him, are you now going to restore the kingdom? Are you now and like little kids uh, talking to a, an adult? Is this going to happen now? And that was their expectation, even with all of the things that the Lord had told them when he was on the earth about what was to happen and the order of things. Uh, we understand it looking back on the other side of it and looking at uh, the fact that Israel rejected him. They rejected the Messiah. And so God went to do something different with the church. And so the context by which you can see the book of Acts is the expansion of the gospel. And it starts with these individuals who had been witnesses to all that had happened with the Lord. They been with him. They saw his earthly ministry. Then they saw his death, burial and resurrection in person. They were eyewitnesses to this. And so who better to go out and establish the gospel than these men who had personally seen it? And you, uh, Let's go over to the uh, first Corinthians really quickly here. <clears throat> and Paul talks about this and the importance of the resurrection as he um, speaks on it. And remember, these Corinthian saints were having a little bit of difficulty uh, just from some of these false teachers understanding why the resurrection is so important. Uh, but he, he cites these eyewitnesses here. 
In verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died on behalf of our sins, according to the scriptures. Now, Paul keeps saying that which he also received. And this is not by someone else telling him this information. Remember, he had personal meetings with the Lord in which he dispersed these things unto him and he caused him to understand them better. And so when he says, I received this, he received it directly from the Lord. You can go over to Galatians chapter one and see that in verse four and says, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then the, all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And so again, you see this example, these eyewitnesses to his resurrection namely the disciples who are going to be able to disperse this message concerning the gospel to the rest of, uh, of, of people at that time. And back, going back to Acts in chapter 1, where does this start? Um, and pick it up in verse 4. And it says there, and being assembled together with them, uh, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. And here it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, or they kept repeatedly asking him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom of it or to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath placed in his own uh, power. And really there that word for power is authority. But you shall receive power. Now, again, I, I always tell you guys when I run across it, why it's important to know the Greek or at least to have a Greek interlinear. You see a word translated for power there. Twice in subsequent verses, and it's two different words. You have one word for authority. You have the other word that's uh, talking about ability. And so you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Now, this is why we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what do you see as we get through the book of Acts? You see uh, the gospel starting off there at the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter is able to explain the actions of what they're seeing there and explain them in the context of what the Lord has done on their behalf. And you see many people saved right there in Jerusalem. And then you see these guys expanding out, expanding out and expanding out. And over time, eventually at the end of the book, what do you see? Paul in Rome. And able to expand out the gospel all the way as far as that, that place. And so even from there, it goes on further. And those that have heard it there are witnesses to people everywhere else. 
all the way till it comes to where we stand here today and you've been able to hear the facts of the gospel yourself because of what these men did uh, in the start. And so um, an, an amazing testimony concerning that. And so in verses four through five, again, we see the present instruction of Jesus to the apostles. And we'll skip uh, down a little bit in the notes there. Uh, we're on page three if you're keeping track. Uh, the instruction is explained in verse five. And then to verse or, or to page four, uh, we see that the um, um, well, that's kind of the last point there. And then we go into the presentation of the gospel. And so in uh, verse six of chapter one, uh, if you're keeping track in your notes all the way to chapter seven uh, and verse 60, this is kind of how I have it broken down. Uh, you see the presentation of the gospel in Jerusalem. And so all of these uh, acts that you're seeing are mainly acts that are occurring in Jerusalem uh, in these first several chap chapters. And so in verses uh, 6 through 26, the, the uh, first chapter, you see the acts of the apostles prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, what were they doing? Uh, first, they see the Lord uh, go into heaven and ascend into heaven. And what happens? Uh, they have no clue as to what they're supposed to be doing, even after he gave them this instruction. And the angels have to come and tell them, what are you doing sitting here looking at the sky? There's work to be done. Uh, and so go with me to verse 10. We see this here. It says, and while they stood or while they looked steadfastly uh, toward heaven, as we uh, as he went up, behold, two men stood with them in white apparel. Now, uh, we're hard on these apostles sometimes because we have. Uh, the the uh, privilege of looking back on this with information. Uh, but if you were with the Lord and saw him physically ascending from the ground into heaven, I think I would be like <laughs> just stunned. Isn't this unbelievable? Even with all of the acts that you've seen him do, him ascending into heaven would have been a sight to behold, Right. And so we can't look back on these guys and, and act like that we wouldn't have done the same exact things that they were doing. And so they're stunned. In verse 11, it says, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which you which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so. We like to take scripture literally here, don't we? <laughs> what manner did we see him go up? We saw him leave the ground <laughs> in a certain place. And so the same manner in which he left, he's going to return and his feet are going to touch the ground. We have all kinds of scripture that we could go back to and cite that. Um, so we know that there's a distinction between the rapture and the second coming of the Lord just by this that he says right here. Right. The rapture. And let's go over to first Corinthians or excuse me, first Thessalonians chapter four. We don't see any record of him coming and touching the ground when he comes to get the saints. First Thessalonians chapter four. Now, this is often a scripture that I'll cite as comfort to someone that has lost someone that is uh, a believer. Now, if they're not a believer, I just say uh, <laughs> the best things that I can say for that individual. Uh, they don't have this hope. 
But in verse 12, it says, uh, verse 13, excuse me, it says, But I would not have you ignorant, uh, to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as them which have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not, really there you say that word prevent, it's really not prevent, it's more the idea of proceeding. We will not go before them. And so those that have died in Christ that are believers, when the Lord returns, they're going to receive their glorified body first, and then we shall receive our glorified body. And so it's more the idea of proceeding than preventing. And so we shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, really here into, a, in, into the clouds, into a meeting with the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so do you see any citation there in this rapture event of the Lord touching the ground? No. And so when is he going to touch the ground? When is he going to come in the same manner which he left at his, at his second coming? And so we would put this at the end of the rapture, or excuse me, at the end of the tribulation period. And all my events there of eschatology mixed up. And so you see at the end of it, he's coming and he's coming in flaming fire. Look at the pastor's favorite verse. We go over to chapter two or uh, the second Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter one, excuse me. Just flip over a little bit. <laughs> I'm just doing this for his his uh, benefit here today. <laughs> Hopefully he's seeing this in the right way and it's not just an attitude of vengeance towards those which are evil. <laughs> in verse 3 it says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all towards each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in, in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And so this is, this is a hope that he's giving to these believers who are in the midst of situations that are trying and difficult. What is he saying? That you can stand in the midst of these situations with the knowledge that these people that are doing these things are not going to get away with it. They may be getting away with it now, and evil may be prevailing now, but guess what? They're not going to get away with it forever. And so this is the mind that you should have. Not that you want to see someone zapped and all of this. <laughs> Brother Don says, yes, I want to see it. <laughs> well, in our... <laughs> you guys get him under control back there. <laughs> but here's the, the idea that we're looking at here. When you're seeing this in, in, in our flesh, of course, we want to see... Uh, someone get what they deserve, right? It's like on, in a movie. You've been watching this movie the whole length of the way, and this this evil bad guy in this movie has been winning the whole time, and you're waiting for this guy to get what's coming to him, right? And that's our, our human nature. We want to see evil get what it deserves. 
Boy, somebody's going to town out there. Um, oh, okay. It sounded like a car. Um, and so this, this idea here, but in our spirit, when we see it how God sees it, uh, this word for vengeance is not exactly the way that we think of, of vengeance. We think of vengeance as you do this and boom, he gets what's coming to him, right? That's not how God sees it. God is not emotional like we are sometimes, right? He's just seeing things as needing to be evened out. Now, this evil that's done, if our justice system worked in the way that it's supposed to, isn't, aren't things supposed to balance out? Isn't that why they have those scales in front of every courtroom? Justice is supposed to balance out, but it's impossible with men. We don't have any concept of justice because that justice word comes from the basis of the word for righteousness. And which one of us is righteous apart from God? We don't have it in us. And so let me read through and then I'm going to break down this word for you when we get to it. In verse five, it says, which is a manifest token. These things that you're suffering on this earth is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. And so these evil things that are happening are showing why the righteous judgment of God has to come. And so we're going to see that in, in, in the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Seeing it as a righteous thing with God. See how this word for righteousness keeps popping up here in this context. And I'm going to show you where it pops up in a place where you'll be surprised. Verse six, seeing that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you which are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting or eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, there's a lot to said there. These people that are doing these evil things, they don't want God. They don't, what does it say in, uh, in the Believe in Romans chapter 1? Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they have no desire to have any association with God. And you see that running rampant in our world today, right? They want a world without God and you're starting to see everything unravel because that's what it looks like when the world doesn't have God in it. And so even uh, this, this idea here, you don't want God well, you're going to get exactly what you want and you're going to find out what you wanted is not what you wanted at all. You did not want a world without God. You did not want to be eternally banished from God's presence. But that's exactly what they're going to get. And so as you go back to verse eight, you see this flaming fire. You, you see flaming fire and we think fire and brimstone. Here comes the Lord to exact vengeance. Right. And we think of lightning bolts and Zeus and all of these things of, of getting vengeance on individuals. But that's not exactly what that word means. In flaming fire taking vengeance, this word comes from our word for righteousness. And it has the idea of meeting out righteousness to individuals. You did this. Here is the appropriate response by one that is righteous. And he can say, that it's righteous because he is completely righteous. 
I think back to when I was a kid and my brothers, uh, I will, won't tell you which ones fought the most, but there were some that fought uh, among us, and I might, have, might or might not have been involved in those ones <laughs> that did fight. <laughs> but there was a certain brother who would do things to pick at another brother. And then the bro other brother would uh, exact what he thought was righteousness to him, <laughs> right? He might, have, might or might not have been a little stronger than the other brother, and he might or might not have took punishment into his own hands. And he did what he thought was righteous based on what that other brother did. Okay, I'll tell you, it was me. <laughs> It was me and it was my younger brother. Me and my older brother got along pretty well, but that younger brother of mine, we'd, we'd come to blows <laughs> sometimes. But what happened? Was what I did to him actually righteous? I can tell you no. <laughs> because as I tell my young kids all the time, you are not the parent. You have no right to be judging. And so that is unrighteous. My parents were the ultimate judges of what went on in our household. And if something were done inappropriate by one, they should have been the ones mediating that situation. And so that's how we see things a lot of times. This person says this to me or this person does that to me and I'm going to boom, I'm going to let them have it. Right. Because that's your sense of righteousness. And it's not lining up with what God says is righteous. God can say that his judgment is righteous because he is completely righteous, right? Do we need to go back to his attributes <laughs> to see it? All right. What is one of those attributes that he has? He's righteous. He acts completely in line with righteousness 100% of the time. And which one of us can say that? I'm putting a challenge out there. Anybody? <laughs> okay. Nobody's bold enough to jump up and say that. And so we see this idea here, and I've gotten far away from it <laughs> the more I went into that, but the second coming is very different from the rapture. And you can see that in the book of Acts as you connect it with other uh, scriptures. And so going back over to Acts in chapter 1, and this idea of him taking off from the ground and returning in the same manner, these angels not only say that, but they say there's things for you to do. <laughs> it's not time for you to just sit around and, and do as the, first, uh, the Thessalonian saints were doing, some of them, where they were just sitting back and waiting for the rapture to occur. No, there's work to be done. And so as you uh, pick it up in verse 12, it says, uh, uh, Then return uh, they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is uh, from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and Jesus, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. And so you see all of the disciples there, save one, <laughs> the one that uh, betrayed the Lord and Judas. Now, what is the next event? What is the next thing that they proceed to do? Uh, you're going to see, like, like you've seen throughout the Gospels, that the spokesperson for these disciples is Peter. And he steps up. <laughs> and what you see is a change from Peter after the day of Pentecost. And I would say if we looked at Peter and did a character study on Peter, you would have to say pre 
Pentecost Peter and post Pentecost Peter because they're two different people. This guy that uh, was before the day of Pentecost was impulsive. He would just get up and speak and, and say things that he thought was right. And most of the time, guess what? <laughs> it probably was a good idea for Peter to. <laughs> but we all have to grow up spiritually, don't we? And what you see after the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came and indwelt Peter, is you see someone that was dedicated to doing what he was supposed to do. And most of the time he got it right. And there's sometimes still, even after that, we see over in Galatians chapter two, Paul had to withstand him to the face. Right. Because he he was being a hypocrite. He wouldn't uh, eat with Gentiles <laughs> and unless the uh, Jews weren't around to see him doing it. <laughs> and he was being a hypocrite and Paul called him out. Uh, but most of the time you see him acting in line with what he should uh, do. But here we see him stand up and make a statement about what they should do first uh, in these acts after Christ's ascension. So in verse 15, it says, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Now, mind you, this is unprompted and said the number of names together or excuse me, and the number of names together were about uh, 120. And so there were other uh, of believers from uh, uh the gospel, or excuse me, the uh, uh, Christ's earthly ministry that we're here. Uh, in verse 16, it says, Men and brethren, this scripture must need have been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus. Now he's going to take this, this verse and interpret it himself. Um, I have my questions as to whether this was something he, he was supposed to do again know that he's not uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit when he does this. In verse 17, it says, for the num uh, he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of unrighteousness and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and his bowels gushed out. A very graphic <laughs> uh, uh, telling of what happened with Judas after he betrayed the Lord. In verse 19, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem insomuch that they called the field uh, in the proper tongue a caldama. That is to say the field of blood. Uh, for it is written uh, in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no, uh, no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. And so, uh, again, this is going back to the book of Psalms and he's interpreting this as. Uh, relating to uh, Judas. Now, I, I don't doubt that this scripture might be relating to what was supposed to happen uh, with the disciples. What I do doubt is that this man and the method that they picked him in was the one that was it was supposed to happen with. Because we see uh, at least the Apostle Paul, perhaps it was him that was supposed to have taken the place of this individual. Uh, but the way in which they picked him, I don't know who the person was supposed to be, but I know we don't often draw straws to see what's the will of the Lord. Now, if we were to get together on a church and we couldn't all come together and be in one mind, whose idea would it be to step up and say, let's draw straws for what God's will is? Or let's flip a coin and see uh, if it lands on heads and God wants us to do this and if it lands on tails. He wants us to do this. It doesn't make sense, does it? God doesn't work that way. He's not a God of chance. 
And this is basically what he did here. Um, in verse 21, it says, wherefore, uh, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day he, he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two. And so here you see, uh, if he were led by the spirit, which again, he didn't have the spirit yet. But doesn't the spirit point us in the direction of things that we should and shouldn't do? Don't we have the ability to walk by the spirit and make decisions that are in line with what God desires for us? And I think this point is made here right before chapter two to point out something huge. These guys did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and they had to act in line with whatever they thought was right to do. And you see it here. Picking up in verse 22, or excuse me, verse 23, or verse 24, let's try this again. <laughs> and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So they put the Lord into a, a box here, right? They didn't pray to him and ask him, uh, what should we do in this circumstance? They gathered these two individuals and then said, Lord, do you bless what we've, we've chosen to do? Does this sound familiar to you of anything that we see today? Right? People start up these ministries. Yeah, I, know, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, Lord, you bless it. Right? And this is what happens with, with individuals when they're not acting in line with the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 25 it says that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, uh, that he might go uh, to his own place. And they gave forth their lots and the lot fell on upon Matthias uh, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, <laughs> they gave forth their lots here and, and it fell upon. It's very interesting to me. They just prayed to the Lord <laughs> to direct them of which of these two they should choose. And then they play a game of chance for which, which one it might be. Now, I want you guys to keep this in the back of your minds as we get through the book of Acts, because you're going to see them acting in much different ways just in the next chapter. How dramatic a change with Peter in one chapter from this place where he's leading these individuals to act in accordance with chance to being led by the spirit and what he should do. And you see a, a marked difference uh, in the way that he acts and conducts himself. Uh, and so we would be, perhaps I should have given you guys the notes for page five. Sorry, Lynn. <laughs> we would be on page six <laughs> as of now. Uh, and so in chapter two, we see the, <laughs> I should, I should, uh, I should learn my lesson from my own uh, uh, endeavors with my wife. Uh, but we see in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 47, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so early in the uh, book, you're going to see the action of his coming. And I don't want to get all the way into this. We'll probably leave off here in a second. Um, and then you see uh, next the immediate results of his coming in verses 5 through 13. And so... Uh, his act, the action of his coming. Remember, there were a lot of, of verbiage that's used to describe his coming there early, right? 
to paint a, a picture. Um, we were talking about uh, this book that I like to read, A Wrinkle in Time, when I was a kid. And it's a very descriptive book. It goes into great detail of colors, of sounds, and all of these things that relate to the senses. And it gives you a real understanding. You can paint an all, almost a mental picture with your mind of what's going on. And I think that's what happens here early in this uh, first or second chapter with the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's very descriptive. And it gives you the opportunity to, to almost paint a mental picture of what was going on there. And let's go there just for a second. We're going to read through. And we'll come back next week and, and kind of hit on it. In verse 1 it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and I'm going to explain to you what that idea means there. Uh, sometimes we just glance over words and they don't, you know, no big deal. What does it mean that when the day of Pentecost was fully come? Well, if you're here next week, you'll find out. <laughs> they were all with one accord in one place. And so uh, very, very, very descriptive. And we're going to hit all of those things when we come back next week. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like as fire. And it sat upon each of them. So here you hear or see two senses already used to describe what's going on, what they heard and what they saw. In verse four, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues and the spirit gave uh, them utterance. And so you see uh, another sense here, the feeling. <laughs> they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were able to to understand this and speaking uh, it's verified by the fact that they're speaking in tongues. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was uh, noised ab abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, to one another, behold, uh, are we not all, or excuse me, are not all these uh, which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in, a, in their own tongue wherein we were born? Now, it's very important that he pointed out the fact here that they were Galileans, because what do we see about Galileans in other places in Scripture? It, hmm? Yeah, that and, and another thing that they're not seen as, as intellectually <laughs> kind of up there, right? They, what did they say of the Lord? Can anything good come out of, out of Galilee, right? There's not supposed to be the idea that, that great things can come from this city. I guess it would be like if you thought about some of our towns that are looked down upon in this time that are not up there with the uh, big cities and the intellectual centers of where information comes from. And so you see this idea here. And then in verse 8, And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in uh, parts of Libya about Cyrene uh, and strangers of Rome and Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. 
Now, what is going to be the response of some of these guys? They're going to say that these guys are drunk. <laughs> why, why are they doing this? Because they're, they're drunk. And Peter is going to go into his explanation based on that comment about what's truly happening here and has a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with many. And we're going to see that many people are saved by his speaking of the gospel and by being able to see this event with their own eyes and have his, his uh, explanation of it. And so here starts uh, the branching of the gospel in Acts chapter 2. And so we'll come back next week. We'll uh, print you guys off some fresh notes. Uh, those of you uh, that don't have the notes, uh, let me know next week and we'll get you the first four pages printed off plus the uh, next couple uh, that we're going to work through as well. All right, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful that you did send your Holy Spirit. And uh, we don't have to uh, wonder what you desire for us to do because we're connected to you uh, through our position in Christ and through the leading of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that we would be locked into that, uh, that you might be able to uh, just guide us and lead us uh, into those works that you have for us so that we're not uh, working in vain, that we're working in line with those things that are going to give us good reward uh, at the Bema Seat Judgment. Uh, we pray that uh, as we go out through this week that we would, uh, again, just be dialed in and ready for those works that you have for us to accomplish. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.